Welcome to this episode of CEO Perspectives, a signature series by the Conference Board. CEO Perspectives are conversations that take an objective, nonpartisan look at a range of subjects that matter most to business leaders. I'm Erin McLaughlin, Senior Economist here at the Conference Board. In today's conversation, we're discussing the state of the global economy. First, we'll look at our newly released data on consumer confidence in the U.S. Then we'll dig into the economic outlook for Europe, China, and the U.S. You are listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board. Joining me today is Dana Peterson, Chief Economist at the Conference Board. Welcome, Dana. Hi, Erin. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Great. Excellent. Well, let's get started with our recently released Consumer Confidence Index for June. How are consumers feeling about the economy? Well, um, it seems like they're feeling a little bit better uh, than they have been. But really, when I look at the index over the last few months, it's been moving around a very narrow range where we've had good months and bad months. Um, But certainly June seemed like it was a, a better month where both the present situation and expectations improved. Okay, good. So although the index rose, it is still below 80. What does this tell us about consumers' expectations regarding a recession? Sure. So um, the overall index, as you mentioned, is split into two pieces. There's the present situation and there's expectations. Now, the present situation ticked up, and it's it's been uh, pretty buoyant, mainly because consumers are working and they've seen some increases in income and also uh, inflations come off, especially for gasoline. Okay. But when we look at expectations, yes, that measure is still below 80. And that means that consumers anticipate that there's going to be a recession at some time uh, between the next six to 12 months. However, it was just a shade below 80. And much of the improvement we saw in the headline was because expectations moved up pretty significantly. But even still, it's just a hair below 80, still signaling recession. Okay. Now, what groups of consumers would you say, either by age or income, are most optimistic or pessimistic about the economy? Well, we definitely see uh, a material improvement in confidence among people under 35 years of age, and also consumers earning incomes over 35,000. So I, I would imagine that for all these consumers, they've probably seen inflation come off. And that's been really important for the bottom line, especially prices for food and energy and housing have been very elevated. Within that, like I said, gasoline prices are lower. And that's really a big break, especially for younger consumers um, who don't make as much money. But also, I would imagine that even consumers who are making more, 35000 and over, are still seeing that support to their incomes from less inflation. Okay, that's good. More spending power would make uh, consumers more optimistic. And of course, the unemployment rate is still very low. Um, so how does employment, including the view of employment conditions, play into that response that we're seeing? Sure. So consumers still think that the present situation in terms of employment is is favorable. Um, Indeed, when you look at those saying uh, jobs are hard to get versus jobs are not hard to get, uh, more saying that jobs are are fairly easy to get and fewer saying that it's difficult to find jobs. And that's certainly reflected in the BLS data that um, we see every month where payrolls are still pretty positive and the unemployment rate is still quite low. 
Um, it, we think it probably will tick up somewhat, um, but even if there is a recession, the unemployment rate is probably still going to stay pretty low compared to historical standards. Okay. And June was a, was a notable month. We averted a debt ceiling crisis. And as you mentioned, inflation declined. So these activities obviously might add to optimism as well. Well, I mean, it's interesting. I think many consumers, um, you know, probably weren't really paying attention to the debt ceiling until the 11th hour, <laughs> the 11th hour, exactly when it seemed like, you know, we were going to going to go over the cliff. Right. And certainly that would have meant a lot of inconvenience, um, certainly because not only would the government have shut down, but people would not have been able to receive things like social security checks. You wouldn't have been able to travel because, yeah. of, you know, FAA would be closed. So it would have been a really bad time. But thankfully, there was a resolution um, that resolution does mean that there is going to be less spending starting in the fiscal year 2024, which starts in October, in October but, at, yeah. but at least for now, um, we have a resolution. It's not really weighing on growth, but certainly looking ahead to next year, we do think that the debt ceiling resolution, which calls for one and a half trillion dollars less spending over the next 10 years will weigh somewhat on the economy. Interesting. So another impact, obviously, you discussed inflation and how obviously the Fed has been raising their interest rates to try to combat inflation, and they raised them for 15 straight months, but took a pause in June. Um, how do we think that this is impacting consumers, and do we think that this might mean the end, or is it really just a pause, do you think? Well, it was something called a hawkish skip. <laughs> so a hawkish skip, I like that. <laughs> Yeah, so the reason why it was a skip, because they said, look, we're not done raising interest rates. So it's not a pause, whereas they would basically not do anything for some period of time. Um, but they're saying, look, we're going to come back. We're going to continue to raise interest rates because we're not happy with the progress of inflation. And the hawkishness was a signaling that they're not finished. But the reason there are a number of reasons why they skipped this meeting. One of them probably was a debt ceiling. Uh, issue, which was very close to the Fed's meeting and also caused some turmoil in bond markets. And surely the Fed would want that to sort itself out. Um, also, they are concerned about lags, policy lags. Um, and when monetary policy is implemented, it affects the economy in different ways at different points in time. Now, when interest rates rise, immediately the housing market reacts. And so we've seen housing activity come off pretty sharply. Home prices are, are down. In some cases, they're falling year on year. Um, and then businesses, some of them have pulled back a little bit. But consumers are still spending on services. And services really aren't affected by interest rates um, because you know, either you're paying cash or a credit card, and, and credit card rates don't shift around with the Fed funds rate. So I think the Fed is saying to itself and, and to all of us, look, inflation gauges are still materially above the 2% target. And we want to take some time to see how this policy is flowing through, but we will be back. Okay. Well, you mentioned spending moving from goods to services, as we've seen over the last few years. I thought it was very interesting that in our our consumer confidence index, we talk about vacation plans. And since it's June and we're kicking off summer, do we see that sort of the spending on services is going to continue at, to play out sort of at the level it already has been? Well, the interesting thing is that um, in this survey, every month, uh, every other month, we ask about vacation plans, as you mentioned. 
And those plans have been uh, deteriorating over time, meaning people are, are less and less interested in traveling. Indeed, uh, when you look at the, the detail in terms of wanting to either go abroad or stay home, much of the uh, weakening has been in desires to travel at home domestically. So that's, that's the one uh, look through a window, you could say, into services uh, that we ask about every survey, and that, that's certainly weakening. And just going back to goods, uh, the, it, the goods measures in terms of purchasing plans for homes, autos, and appliances are very lumpy from month to month. So um, you can kind of smooth that out over the last, if you look at six month moving averages, they've basically been trending lower. And that's consistent with the fact that interest rates have been rising. Right. And big ticket items require you to finance them. Right. And since the feds raise interest rates by 500 basis points, it's much more expensive to finance. Yeah. So during the pandemic, we heard a lot about how savings had increased for a lot of folks. And now, as you mentioned, you know, we're, we're a couple years out of that and folks are transitioning to spending on services and they may or may not be charging these on credit cards. Have we seen a change in credit card behavior as interest rates have gone up or as savings has declined? Well, part of the, the rise in savings during the pandemic was the fiscal stimulus. So the federal government sent households checks, uh, multiple checks um, for people who earn a certain amount of income or lower. And also even well into last year, I think through uh, late summer, early fall, uh, families were still receiving checks, mm -hmm. families with children. So those checks are gone. But nonetheless, um, it was extra income for some consumers. It was a lifesaver, especially those who lost right. jobs, but also consumers who didn't lose jobs um, received those checks. And so right. there's a Had lot extra of extra spending money. Yeah. There was extra spending money. But we think a lot of that, uh, it's called excess savings, is mm -hmm. running out. Um, so certainly people at the lower end of the income distribution have spent it already. They spent it on things that they needed. And folks who were probably at the upper end of, of the group that did receive checks, they're probably, uh, you know, a lot of that was saved in terms of putting it into, you know, high yield investments, that sort of thing. But um, potentially there's less capacity to spend that money. Um, and when we look at, at things like excess savings, it's running out. And we think that it'll probably be gone on an aggregate level by the fall of this year. Okay. Another thing that is happening this fall, which was sort of a break um, for a lot of folks during the pandemic, is the end of um, sort of deferring student loan interest and that payments may have to come back. Any thoughts on that and how that may impact consumer confidence or consumer spending? Yes, we, we think it will have an impact. There are enough people in, in the United States, many of them are 40-ish in their mid-40s or younger, have some form of student loan. And as you said, those payments were deferred for the last uh, three years or so. And currently, the Supreme Court is looking at whether or not that deferral can continue. And if it doesn't, it's going to end at the end of September. So come October, those bills are going to be due. And so that's going to sap up money that people probably were using for other things, either goods or services or needs or wants. And now that money is going to have to go back to paying down those student loan debts. And that's going to have a bit of an impact on the economy. And we have folded that into, folded that into our forecasts 
for the second half of this year. The second half of this year. So for our forecast for the second half of this year, the conference board is forecasting a short and shallow recession. Can you give us a little more details on that? Sure. So um, I know it seems like we've been forecasting this for a while. <laughs> and and the thing is that we're not alone. Um, right. Certainly when you looked at the degree of tightening in monetary policy and over such a short period of time, typically that would cause a recession. And we did see aspects of the economy slow pretty dramatically. But the key thing is that consumer spending has really held up. Um, and there are a few reasons for that. The biggest reason is that most consumers are still working. And also many of them have seen increases in wages, either because they switch jobs right. or because their uh, employers uh, provided benefits and raises and all sorts of things to keep them. And the reason why businesses are bending over backwards is because of labor shortages. And labor shortages are a, a feature of an aging labor market where the baby boomers are retiring and leaving and they're not coming back. And you don't have uh, as many younger people to replace them as we did you know, 30, 40 years ago. So for example, in the 1980s, you had four and a quarter working people per every retired person. Now that's fallen to three people. And a decade from now, it's just gonna be two. So in that dynamic, many businesses are either still hiring, especially in the services where there's demand, and also uh, they didn't finish rehiring everyone who was let go during the pandemic. And also you have many businesses that are hoarding labor. They're not hiring, they're not firing, they're just holding on to workers. Because it was so challenging to add them to, you know, in the first place during sort of a Absolutely. boom time. Yeah. Absolutely. And so when you have the labor market being so robust, that's a deciding point for consumers whether or not they're planning on spending. And certainly when we looked at our present situation index within the consumer confidence measure, that persistently indicated that consumers were optimistic about their current employment status. Now, um, we're starting to see a little bit of erosion in terms of how they look at employment going forward, mm -hmm. but still, it's, it's, it's still pretty buoyant. And as long as consumers think they're going to have a job, they're going to go ahead and spend. And that's been a huge challenge for the Fed. We're going to take a short break and be right back with more of my conversation with Dana Peterson. What does the future of work mean for your employees? How will your company navigate ESG? Will there be a global recession? At the Conference Board, our experts translate the latest research and economic analysis into insights and real-time problem solving for your organization. Membership at the Conference Board provides your team with an assortment of knowledge from economics, marketing and communications, ESG, public policy, and human capital. As a member, you'll have access to our center experts, member-exclusive events, data and benchmarking tools, and peer sharing that will help you understand the present and shape the future. Consider becoming a Conference Board member today by visiting www.conference-board.org. Welcome back to CEO Perspectives. I'm Erin McLaughlin, Senior Economist here at the Conference Board, and I'm joined by Dana Peterson, our Chief Economist. We were just discussing demographics and their role in the labor market and the overall economy. Certainly the U.S. is not the only country that has a changing demographic and, and an aging workforce. Dana, can you, maybe this is a great intro into talking about 
global economies and some of the challenges that they're facing. Why don't we go ahead and start with Europe? In Europe, there is definitely a labor shortage, and that's a function of, yes, also an aging demographic. Um, and so you have not only do you have baby boomers retiring, you also have very low birth rates in that region. And then in the UK, you also have the challenges of Brexit, where it's not easy to bring in workers from outside of the UK. And so folding all that together, we're, we're seeing pretty significant labor shortages and we're seeing inflation in terms of wages. And that's also mm -hmm. uh, funneling up into consumer prices. So it's the US, uh, Europe, uh, other advanced economies like uh, and mature economies like South Korea and, and Japan and Australia, but also in one very large emerging market, and that's China. Right. China really stands out in terms of having labor shortages. And the reason why is, again, because they have an aging demographic, but they also had the one child policy uh, for many years, roughly 40 years, and that limited the amount of children that were born. And also you have an imbalance between men and women. And yes. so that's proving challenging. And the interesting thing is that even though China has uh, labor shortages, its unemployment rate is quite high. And the reason why is because the youth unemployment rate is extremely elevated. And the reason is because many young people have graduated with advanced degrees, but the jobs that are available are not really matching their skill set. So there's a mismatch. There's a mismatch in right. skills and that can cause labor shortages as well. Interesting. So as we look at all of the different countries and regions globally and which in which countries may be falling into recession and which ones are emerging, what kinds of patterns are we seeing? Sure. So uh, some some economies have already fallen into recession. So Germany has experienced a recession. The euro area experienced what is called a technical recession. We don't have technical recessions in the U.S., but elsewhere where you don't have a recession dating committee, anytime you have two quarters of negative GDP growth, it's called a technical recession. And so that did happen in the Euro area. But when you look beneath the surface, things weren't that bad. But still, Europe is, is going to experience pretty sluggish growth this year. We do continue to think that the U.S. will experience a recession, probably also Brazil, uh, Chile, Argentina, the U.K., and Germany. Okay. And so even though many countries are experiencing recessions or technical recessions, we're still seeing central banks raising interest rates to combat inflation on a global basis. Would that be a correct assessment? Well, I mean, actually, I, I the list I provided was pretty short in terms of the number of economies going into recession. But even in those economies, the reason why we're seeing recessions and sluggish growth around the world is because of inflation. Inflation is very elevated. And despite the efforts of many central banks, when you look at underlying inflation, which is total inflation, less food and energy, it's it's still rising among mature economies and still very elevated among emerging markets. So that's why central banks, some of them are still hiking. Others may have paused, but they're going to be pausing for a while um, before they consider cutting interest rates because inflation's a bigger issue. So many economies are willing to accept a period of sluggish growth or even mild recessions to wrestle inflation to the ground. Because if you don't 
address inflation, then it becomes embedded in something called inflation expectations, where consumers think prices are going to continue to rise, and that negatively affects their behavior. And so you don't want that to happen. That can turn into runaway inflation that can cause even bigger crises down the road. So that's why central banks are raising interest rates, and that's what's causing the sluggish activity. Okay. Now, one of the the results of central banks raising interest rates is that we've seen uh, some lending and liquidity change in the banking system, and particularly here in the U.S., um, that's getting some attention. Do we think that that is impacting business spending or the confidence level that we're seeing with our CEOs and other executive level folks? Well, we are definitely, when we look at bank lending data from the Federal Reserve Board, yes, uh, it has slowed materially on a year-on-year basis, especially for C&I loans or or, um, business and industrial loans compared to a year ago, and that's been happening since March. And so it definitely is affecting businesses, especially startups that were heavily reliant on you know, these smaller and mid-sized banks that had these niche lending markets for them. And so we're seeing that impact startups, we're seeing that impact the tech sector. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also are concerned about it affecting small and medium-sized businesses around the country that often rely on regional banks, which may not be as large as the big ones, um, you know, in New York or or down at, at, at Atlanta or, you know, down south. So, um, Certainly, the banking crisis is affecting lending, and it is certainly slowing business investments. And so the Fed is also taking that into consideration, the effect of the impact of reduced lending from the banking crisis on its own action. So that was another aspect of why the Fed skipped a meeting, because they're still trying to assess how much tightening that's equivalent to in terms of interest rate hikes. Right. And one sort of slow-moving development that is tied to the banks that we've seen is related to commercial real estate and the office market in particular. So with rising interest rates, a lot of commercial real estate owners need to refinance, and some of the value of these office buildings is declining since we sort of have a a new world where people are working from home and there is more of a hybrid work. What is our perspective on how that might develop in over the next coming months or years? Well, absolutely. There is a lot of empty office space because mm-hmm. of remote work or, or hybrid work, and that's probably going to be here to stay. While many companies are trying to get employees to come back, many companies are still adopting hybrid work in some form where people only have to come in a few days a week. So that means you have a lot of office space. And then many companies decided, well, we don't need as much office space. So we're going to downside right. our, our footprints. And so that means that um, certainly for those banks, and many of them are small and medium-sized banks that are heavily exposed to commercial real estate with respect to office space, um, and we think that that could that could certainly turn into another financial crisis within the U.S. as these loans come due and they can't uh, refinance them because the rates are too high. We're already seeing defaults happening. So I would imagine you'd probably see more M&A in terms of large banks taking over or merging with these smaller banks. But you know, of course, that increases risk of, of what I call super SIFIs. 
And it also runs the risk that you may have entire regions of the country that don't have any banking services because smaller and regional banks um, are either subsumed or they're closed um, as they are, are merged to manage their, their at-risk assets. Right. And that would impact small and medium-sized businesses who bank often Absolutely. within their communities. Yes. Interesting. Well, as we wrap up today, is there anything else, Dana, that you think has been really key to sort of the consumer confidence and other economic data that we've seen and, and any thoughts on what we might see in the month of July? Well, I think I think going forward, we're really going to have to watch consumer finances and their perceptions around whether they think a recession's coming. So we introduced three new measures in the June consumer confidence uh, survey. One asked whether or not consumers expect recession and the other two about finances, both present and future. And certainly when it come to, came to recession, um, it had been rising for many, many months in terms of the percentage saying they expected a recession. And that, that ticked down in June. So either consumers are saying, you know, they're tired of waiting or they see something in the future that's positive. And then in terms of finances, um, more and more saying that, you know, their finances are okay versus not okay. And again, that ties into consumers' desire to spend. So we're really going to have to watch spending and also the labor market because if we, I think a key thing aspect of the labor market is we're going to necessary, we're going to have to see the number of vacancies shrink because if people think that they have options, right, they're going to be more willing to move around. There will be churn in the labor market and that's going to drive up wages. But if people don't see as many vacancies, then they'll say, okay, things, something's happening in the economy. I need to pull back. And that's really going to help bring down the services spending that is still causing inflation to be so elevated and the Fed still um, thinking about raising rates further. Right. Needing to react to that. Well, this has been great. And I look forward to tracking those future questions in the Consumer Confidence Index and, and seeing what develops. Thank you for being with us, Dana. Excellent. Thanks so much. And thanks to all of you for listening in to CEO Perspectives. Every week, we'll be joined by a prominent thought leader to provide insights on the issues of our time. We'll cover the leading topics in economics, public policy, ESG, human capital, and more. Please share CEO Perspectives with your colleagues. This series has been brought to you by the Conference Board. You have been listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board.